0: The Spade, Spoon, Soul, a podcast about all the ways that food intersects with our faith from sp- seed to spade to spoon. I'm Jennifer Baskerville Burrows. I am the Episcopal Bishop of the Diocese of Indianapolis here in Central and Southern Indiana, based here in the Circle City, right on the Circle Monument Circle in Indy, and I'm excited for our conversation today.
1: And I'm Brian sellers Peterson, and I live in the Cascade Mountains outside Seattle and I've spent my career in relief and development work and up until just a few years ago spent a long time with Episcopal Relief and Development and I I retired from that career and now I just spend you know my time working with congregations, um, dioceses, you name it uh, around agrarian ministry and church land stewardship and um, I'm going to start out by introducing my friend Mallory, and then I'll pass a stick to Jennifer so she can introduce her fellow bishop. But Mallory McDuff and I've been friends I think for about ten years. Uh, I did. Uh, we met at a Fred Bonson deal at um, Warren Wilson College, and about ten years ago. And I've been an avid reader of everything Mallory turns out. She's a professor of Environmental Studies and Outdoor Leadership at Warren Wilson College. And uh, you can just Google Mallory. That's all I've got to say. She's written in, like, Huffington Post, the New York Times. Um, but we'll get to some of, at least one of her books, if not a couple or more books later in the podcast, because and we'll, and we'll pronounce those books slowly so you can write them down and Google them and purchase them. So, okay, Jennifer, you got the stick.
0: Yes, so the other guest we're delighted to have is my colleague and friend in ministry, Bishop Brian Cole, who is the Bishop of the Episcopal Diocese of East Tennessee, which I don't think I realized also includes a little bit of Northern Georgia. And so um, it's got this wonderful territory. And what I love about Brian is we've known each other for a long time as some of the uh, younger clergy back in the day, Gen Xers serving in various places around the church, but um, we became bishops within just a few months of each other. And so um, get to share in ministry in that way, but also have lots of um, things in common. I Brian is a, a wonderful lover of poetry and jazz and he's a runner and a, um, in creation care and all of these things which we are about in this podcast come together. So Brian, it's a delight to welcome you to the Spade's Soul podcast
2: thank you jennifer it's good to be on this uh podcast and it's yeah it's great to be friends with you and ron tellers peterson and Mallory mcduff this is a friend fest right it
3: is
0: it is oh. which is good because we're talking about a subject today that is not necessarily one that people think of as um party conversation but it's important conversation as we think about what we care about in the life of the church, which is the whole life cycle, which includes death and burial. And so it might seem like a little bit of a tangent to be thinking about natural burial here on the Spade Spoon Soul podcast. But, you know, we talk about creation care and we talk about the soil a lot. And so it's we human beings being a part of God's creation. It's quite a natural conversation to have here. And I'm really looking forward to the ways in which the things that we care about related to conservation, to um, care of the environment, all of these things will be um, part of our topic of conversation today. So um, thank you both Brian and Mallory for bringing this incredible topic to us.
1: So, you know, um, we need to, I wanna get one thing out of the way uh, because there's lots of different labels for what this type of burial is. And uh, I sort of hit the default button. Did I say natural burial? But I also hear people say green burial or um, conservation burial. So which is your preference so we can be consistent? Well,
3: for, for me and in my book, Our Last Best Act, I talked about green burial and natural burial interchangeably, um, you know, being burial that doesn't use embalming concrete vaults, and that any container is biodegradable. And so I use those two inter- interchangeably. I think for some people that like a, the red flag of greenwashing, you know, natural burial feels like a more authentic um, description. So, but I'm, I'm comfortable with either of, of those two. And we can talk later about conservation burial, like how that goes kind of a step further.
0: That's really helpful, Mallory, thank you. I hope we can get into some of the particulars of that. So that's helpful clarification, thank you.
1: Hey, so we start out with a standard question and we end with a standard question which we'll get to later. But um, we ask and we want you to, uh, because you sort of share similar space, but we wanna know where you are rooted, um, physically or spiritually, uh, what's the dirt you most connect with?
3: Sure. Well, I'll jump in and say that the dirt I most connect with in some ways is the, the sand that's on the shores of Mobile Bay, um, the estuary that um, you know, borders my the hometown where I grew up in in Fairhope, Alabama. Um, but I've spent the past more than two decades living uh, in the mountains of Western North Carolina, um, where Jennifer's family also is, is from, um, and living on this campus at Warren Wilson College, right up between Black Mountain and, North, and Asheville, North Carolina. So right now that's where I'm rooted and have been, and that's where I've raised my two daughters. On this college campus where students are the ones who are farming and picking up the trash and um, working in the cafeteria. They, the students work on campus um, and the land is a big part of their education.
1: Great, Hi. thanks Mallory.
2: So I used to live in Black Mountain, North Carolina and I used to run about every day with Mallory McDuff along the Swannanoa River. And so I used to live in just this absolutely gorgeous part of the world And now living in East Tennessee, I live in an absolutely gorgeous part of the world. But when I feel rooted to some place, it is uh, Southeast Missouri. It's about 90 miles west of Memphis. It is hot, it is flat, it is poor. um, Small town, mostly African-American. And um, you could see a tornado coming from like 100 miles away. And I feel rooted there because I think at some point in my life, I thought my job was to not be from there, right? And I think at some point we have to, it's important to bless our roots. I've heard people say, and to say, that's where I'm from, right? And I've had chances to live in some pretty remarkable places, Uh, but I'm from Haytai, Missouri. And my parents are both buried in a little old Methodist churchyard in Marmaduke, Arkansas. And so I'm from just kind of poor white um, rural communities along Southeast Missouri and Northwest Arkansas and West Tennessee. And, um, I think increasingly for me, as I've felt healthier as an adult is because I've been able to say that's, that's where I'm from. And, uh, and most of us are from places that many of us have never heard of before. Right. So, well, thank you both for sharing that.
0: Um, it's interesting because the way you describe the places where you are rooted is not unconnected, disconnected from the conversation we're hoping to have today, because there are the places that we're from and then the places where we will eventually go. And um it might even as difficult as it can be to talk about the places we come from, the stories we want to have people know about ourselves. It's even harder sometimes to think about where we will end up in our eventuality, at least in terms of our mortal bodies. And so... As a way of getting us started, I would love, um, Mallory, maybe you can give us like the, the quick pitch, kind of elevator speech about your book, uh, Our Last Best Act, planning for the end of our lives to protect the people and places we love. If you are going to summarize that, and I know as I learned, you know, not everybody goes up a lot of elevators. I'm on the eighth floor in my building. So we <laughs> have got like 30 seconds. Tell me how you would describe your book.
3: Sure. Yeah. And I haven't been on an elevator in a really long time. See,
0: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say that metaphor is kind of tricky. Yeah,
3: No, no, but I get it. I, I like the metaphor. Um, well, I wanted to start out the summary by saying just before getting on this podcast to talk to y'all, I got an email from... Um, somebody in at Grace Episcopal Church in Asheville, who we had advertised a conference on death and dying and planning for your last best act. And, and it for a variety of reasons, um, it didn't happen then. And she was so wanting information within the Episcopal Church. She she's like, where can I get this co- a conference like this, a one day event where I can help plan for my death? And so I think we have this idea of like, oh, it's hard to talk about death, but I found the opposite. I found people, if given the space, are eager to, to take some steps to, to plan. Um, so, so, I, so in large part, this book um, was prompted by a similar um, conference at All Souls Episcopal Church where Brian used to work. Um, And people there had organized this one day conference on planning for your death. And I was a speaker at the conference and I spoke about the, um, the natural burial of my father and my mom. And as I was speaking, I realized there were a lot of different options beyond just green burial or natural burial that I wasn't aware of. And so that conference actually you know, in the parish hall of All Souls Church really prompted this one year journey to explore sustainable end of life options for my body. Um, And this exploration was rooted in Western North Carolina, but what I found was um, applicable, you know, to across the country. And and the last thing to summarize the book is that it really is grounded in the loss of my own parents who died, quite suddenly two years apart, they were hit by teen drivers while they were cycling from a Christian yoga class, my mom to a community supported agriculture. So a farm where they worked in exchange for their food. And my mom died. um, And then a month after her death, my dad sat his children all down and shared with us two pages of his directives that he wanted a burial with that didn't rely on a funeral home that you know, didn't include embalming a concrete vault all natural materials um, and because he wrote that down when he died suddenly two years later in a very similar mirror image accident in our total shock we were able to return his body to the soil in the Montrose little cemetery near our you know near where we grew up. Um, and so that planning really allowed for that transformation of body into soil in a way that I couldn't have anticipated. And so that's really, that's the book was a way to address planning for our, the end of our lives, but it was also a way for me to really honor the legacy of
1: my parents. Wow, Wow! Thank you. Uh, yeah, I mean, I've read and reread your New York Times op-ed about your dad, uh, you know, and whatever, The subject comes up about wanting people to read your book. I send them the link to that article. Uh, So meaningful. So Brian, um, how has Mallory influenced you as a a parish priest and now a bishop as you interact with people um, who are are fast getting there? um, And I know she's been influencing you for, for 20 years.
3: I have to laugh. He's been influencing <laughs> me too. We've
2: been <laughs> okay. It's so, okay, uh, <laughs> so you know, there is a. I'm going to chase a rabbit here for a second. One of my favorite little cartoons. I think it's from the New Yorker. Dr. Frankenstein, you know, the mad scientist is in the lab, and the, the monster is being raised from the table, and there's electricity everywhere, and Dr. Frankenstein says. I did it I did it I made an adult friend and um so uh you know Mallory is an adult friend and someone that I got to know we were both teaching at Warren Wilson and um we have gone through lots together uh, in our families in that regard she's just one of my best friends um As someone who was also a parishioner at All Souls, and now when I went to Lexington now in East Tennessee, she really keeps me honest, right? As to what degree, what you're doing, does it matter in the world? Does it matter uh, for young people? How does your work matter for climate change? Um, Keeps me honest. She does that with humor, uh, but she does it just also, you know, with deep, deep commitment to honesty and to truth. And um, so I'm really grateful for her, and I'm grateful that um, she's willing to take on sort of difficult topics, but approach them in in kind of ordinary, everyday ways, and also with some real wit and some humor. Uh, we sort of bonded over both teaching at Warren Wilson College, but you know, admitting that occasionally we probably read People Magazine, right? You know, so we're kind of those people that sort of, you know. Uh, wanted good things for the world, but also had an interest in pop culture. And, um, but yeah, just a deep commitment. And then there's a, I think a part of, and a part of what makes this book so helpful is some of us would say, oh, I have an interest in Green Burial. I might Google that, Um, you know, Mallory, if she has an interest in something, there's like this commitment to it, right? Like, and I had the chance to meet her father And know that just both for her father, Larry, and her mom, Annie, just they're deep committed people, right? These folks hike the Appalachian Trail and the Pacific Coast Trail. And I mean, that's commitment. And um, I think Mallory has a double portion of that from them. And so to say, if we're going to change the planet for good, we have to rethink how we take care of our bodies once uh, our life changes, doesn't end. Um, and so her willingness to take that on and to and to meet all kinds of people and at times ask uncomfortable questions, but to know that, um, yeah, it's anything she does, she she does it to the to the nth degree in a way that is um, awe inspiring for the people that know her,
3: and um, discouraging for my twenty three and seventeen year old daughters. <laughs> Intensity is.
2: Go get there and go get there. Go get there.
3: I think the word for that is controlling.
2: Passion. It's passion.
0: Right. (laughs) But you know, I think, I mean, um, it's funny because it's, uh, I'm going to tag onto that word controlling, which I'm not going to get into the relationships raising teenagers into adulthood, but um, because I have a 12 year old, so I'm on the cusp of that. But I do think, you know, when we are planning for the end of life, we like to, for those who are trying to plan ahead, think that there's a lot that we might be able to control and that 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 slice of what those plants might look like, it's very narrow, like here's the options. And you think about what the mainstream um, burial practices have been in our culture. And um, And I do wanna just note that it's, these are all cultural decisions we're making. And so with the introduction and the growth of natural green burial, like we're really getting into the business of questioning some of our assumptions that are deeply rooted culturally about how we um, what do we do with our remains, you know? And so I just want to acknowledge that that's, it's a huge ministry, truly, that you're engaging in and helping people find space to talk about it and then giving pathways to actually make different commitments and choices.
3: Yeah, well, and, you know, for in the book too, I was, I tried to be really careful to say, okay, I'm spending this year exploring these options and I'm going to meet all these people and I'm going to come to some decisions at the end, but these are not. I'm not saying these are the decisions for everybody. Um, but for for me, what when I started this journey, I had no idea like what I didn't know, um, and I had buried a father who very explicitly said, you know, we didn't even have the term green burial or natural burial then, but that's what he wanted. He wanted burial like traditionally people had buried. Um, and, but I didn't like, I had no, I just had no I- idea. And I think as a parent, like I'm de- and a teacher of college students, like every day someone is telling me what I don't know <laughs> with, with such ease and comfort. Right. And, and, but, but this was really like, oh my gosh, like I had, had, I had no idea about not just, I knew a lot, I knew quite a bit about green burial and like natural burial, but I didn't know about um, human composting, you know, which is um, really growing. And if, if you follow it, you know, it's been legalized in I, think, I believe seven states, um, as well as, you know, aquamation and, and human composting basically for the, for the purposes of y'all's podcast is certainly an apt choice of folks who are interested in, in soil. Um, and, you know, aquamation it was another option that I didn't know about. The, the, so a form of cremation using water and lye. And sometimes when I talk about this, I spell out lye, like L-Y-E. And Brian always laughs at me. <laughs> it's not a word we use in our everyday life. Um, but, but there was so much that I, I, I didn't know. And each chapter follows a choice. You know, so if you were interested in human composting, you know you could, could could read about that that research but the other thing I didn't know um, was that I, I didn't know how many people were in my home region like dedicating their lives to making death accessible to, to all and a sustainable and to really increasing this like death literacy. Um, I, I just had no idea there's death doulas that are in community. There's centers for. There's a center for intentional living and dying right across the river here from the college. There's. There are just. A, there's a huge support networks and, and that was, um, you know, really, just yeah. empowering to learn about.
1: And from my perspective, that's that's relatively new um, because I I go back 40 years to college um, and I worked at a mortuary um as a mortician's assistant, I mean, I can still smell the formaldehyde. Um, um, I can call that smell up. And, you know, there just weren't any options. There was never any talk about this. You know, you you upsailed, you sold, you know, your caskets. Um, you know, you had to work hard to, you know, um, get a pine box from the mortuary. And then you, you had to go into a, a vault, uh, not for for any special reason except to, so the grasses nice and flat for the, uh, to mow uh, the grass um, at the cemeteries. And, you know, everything has changed. Now, I, I'm really, I'm sure you've run across some conventional morticians um, during your year of this. And, you know, Maybe you could share a little bit about some of their journeys, um, you know, from this huge industry um, right. into a, a, a different way. I mean, um, I know you got stories, Mallory.
3: I was just waiting for you to stop talking. <laughs> <laughs> no, because I wanted to hear what you had to say. Um <laughs> <laughs> so you, I think so so definitely that's so cool though I did so interesting I had I hadn't uh, I didn't know that about you do you mind before I share a story telling me where the um mortuary where it was that you reworked?
1: it was in Mankato Minnesota my hometown yes. and you know um that's where I go back to um when I think about where I'm rooted but it was yeah. a cat mostly a catholic funeral home and there were there was the mostly Lutheran um, you know, uh, funeral home in in town.
3: Right. right. Well, and then you know the the speed at which opinion has changed, you know, it's one of those things I think we think, oh, things don't change. But then when you look at like the acceptance of cremation, with you know, flame cremation not being very accepted decades ago and now, you know, 50% of people choose flame cremation, it's expected to increase to 80% by 2040. I, I think this, the growth and all these other options will have an impact on that. Um, but I did, I did interview and spend time with um, you know, funeral directors and in, in conventional um, funeral homes. And one of which is really partnering with the conservation burial ground here, and, and that's like, you know a burial ground where when you purchase a plot, you're actually buying into the conservation of that land in perpetuity through conservation easements. So there's one conventional burial ground, I mean, cemetery here, one conventional funeral home here, excuse me, that is you know, really partnered with the conservation burial ground. Um, and so that's a, I think that's a model for how, sem- funeral directors can partner with these, you know, more innovative practices without necessarily changing their whole business model. Um, but I, I did spend, um, yeah, you know, I sp- did spend some time with another funeral director who was very much, she was a woman and that's, you know, rare. Um, and she are not as prevalent as, as male funeral directors. And she was very involved in the, like home funeral movement. So she actually invited me to go to a home funeral um, with her. And she also in her presence, the first time I spent with her, I made the mistake of when I first wrote a draft of that chapter of just making some assumptions that were quite honestly based on my upbringing and my dad who was like very anti-funeral home. Um, And so I was making some judgments about the cost and, um, and I, it wasn't inaccurate, but I was, you know, she really called me on my biases against funeral homes and basically was like, look, our funeral home provides a living wage for people. Um, you know, she was just showing me some of the other, other perspectives. Um, but in the end, I really believe that these, you know, partnerships with conventional funeral homes is one way, funeral homes offering more services that are less. I mean, the basic deal with death is like, the more services you want, the more expensive it's gonna be and you don't need that many services. So this is something that I think is just, you know educating consumers is one of the parts of it and thinking about partnerships with funeral homes.
0: Well, that's really helpful for me to hear too, Mallory, because I keep thinking we often, even in death, go to a scarcity mentality. And I wonder with the the, um, funeral home industry has seen a lot of consolidation over the last couple of decades and the home funeral, like the small town, individually owned funeral homes have had to merge and they've had their own issues with their business model. And I'm thinking as we think about these other options that... As my friend Bonnie, Bishop Bonnie Perry likes to say of Michigan, it's a river, not a pie. There are plenty of people, mm-hmm. millions, billions of us, we're all going to die eventually. So how about seeing these this expansion of options as a way of, if you're gonna get business see like about it, uh, increasing market share rather than feeling like it's a competition. for services. You know, there's so much room and why not have as many options that allow people to have their wishes, um, you know, lived out in ways that their families can be happy about and the environment can also benefit from.
3: Right. Well, and I've also seen, I've also interviewed um, more like funeral homes that are holistic funeral homes that are new. So there's one like the natural funeral in Colorado and it offers green burial, aquamation, and human composting. And it's got the you know, funeral home model, but it's only offering sustainable options. And they're looking to franchise. You know, they looked at Asheville as one of the locations. So I think we're gonna see more and more of, of that. And so the conventional funeral homes may need to you know, figure out, okay, how can we either be a separate market niche or offer, offer less?
0: Um, yeah. Bishop Brian, if I could, can I ask you about the pastoral dimensions of some of this? Because you've been in this, I'm learning, I'm at the very beginning stages, but I've also had intimations of, oh, I know I don't want to do the conventional thing. And now this is why I need to get your book immediately, Mallory, because I feel like I will be, as we keep adjusting our plans, be given some helpful information, but this is a practical creation care and a pastoral matter. So how is this have you
2: talked with folks about this, or if at all in your ministries? Yeah, so you know, obviously, this work with Mallory has taken place since I become bishop. So I'm I'm less directly, you know, involved with as much uh, end of life planning with folk. I tell you, for me, what was powerful though after Mallory wrote the book, when Archbishop Desmond Tutu died, I don't know if y'all noticed, he chose aquamation. Yes. I thought, here is Archbishop Tutu the very end, like leading us into some new places. And so I thought, wow, what a potential witness that will be. Um, I think the thing I've said to Mallory in thinking about green burial, about human composting, um, is in some ways, maybe it gets us back to a more honest theology of death. I mean, because we talk about ashes to ashes, dust to dust. We talk about your life has changed, not ended. We we, kind of have the words right, right? But yet, I think how we thought about the human body and the need for um, caskets and vaults and all this seemed to undercut a theology we were proclaiming. So to me, the idea of a human body really becoming, moving back to dust and to ash, and for that not to have happened from, you know, flame, but to have happened from just the body the body changing right and the body returning to earth um to me ultimately is a way to kind of really embrace a deeper theology of embodiment the incarnation so i think once folks get through the initial kind of i'll just say it uh, this is a family friendly um but that ick factor right of just like you know like it oh my gosh that seems somehow gross and it's like no actually this is you know if we believe God meets us in our death, and our bodies, and and in creation, and and a God that um, even the eschatology is like plans to make a home on this planet, not to remove us, the idea of getting close to the earth seems like a really good thing for a follower of Jesus to want to be about and to think of it as a good pastoral move. Um, so it's really helped me rethink my thinking, and like I said, my plan is to do aquamation. Um, and you know, I've often heard people say that in in death, our baptism is made complete.
3: Mm.
2: So you want to preach a good acclamation, uh, burial sermon. You know those waters of baptism, and then those waters that help bring you home. Um, mm. And to borrow the phrase from Mallory, and that's no lie, right? L i e. But yeah, I just think I think there's a lot going on there that says, "Wow, no, this actually." I mean, I think again, once you get to the initial. Oh, this feels weird. It's like there's actually a whole lot there that points us to say this is a way to really embrace what we have said about the human body, and what we've said about death. Um, so for me, there's a lot there, and and I, my hope is um, other other folks who are good writers of theology and preachers will think about giving even more language to this because I think it's it's all right in front of us, right?
3: I was just going to uh, jump in. You know that recent book, Corpse Care. I think um, is, a, is kind of a, a next chapter on, on looking at some of those questions. Um, go ahead.
0: No, well, first of all, I'm thinking um, there's a whole library of resources we're gonna have to put in the show notes for this episode because I'm thinking uh, there's a, a lot of other, um, there's more literature out there to, to help us understand. But um, Bishop Brian, when you talk about ache factor or it seems weird and I'm going, nothing about any of the processes are, I mean, it's all weird, right? It's all this kind of, um, you know, when you really think about it, cremation no, no, is no weirder than cremation, really. It's just, it's, un, it's not as familiar. And I think getting more comfortable with being able to talk about it and having options, you know, I talk about it with my family, my um, family of origin, And it's like, here's the one way we do it. And it's hard to get out of that. And I'm, you know, I think the theological language, the understanding about um, our bodies as doing a thing that's quite natural when you think about the natural burial options, I go, oh, that actually makes a lot more sense than all the other so-called conventional things, right? It's like, how have we not been doing that? And of course we probably were a long, long, long time ago. So there was a history of, how burial practices have developed in our culture that have shifted. And, you know, we can go to cemeteries that are hundreds of years old. So we've been doing it a particular way for a very long time, but there's, you know, millennia of history here that we don't know about and we don't have evidence of on the surface, except for when we stumble upon historic burial grounds under buildings and such. There's a lot that we don't know, but we should as we seek to expand those choices and, um, Anyway, my mind is kind of being blown a bit from this conversation and I'm looking forward to, to learning more and helping to have different conversations with people.
1: You know, I I uh, have a stump speech about um, agrarian ministry and and uh, how we steward our church land. And, you know, so I've always found out ways to slide in composting, slide in natural burial. But I, I just came off a, a trip to two church conferences, one uh, FORMA, which is for people involved in formation ministry, and then Episcopal Episcopal camps and conference centers. And you know, um, without any of my usual prompting, I ended up in conversations about this. Um, Dion Johnson, who was uh, one of the keynotes at FORMA, um, we got talking about the Lambeth um, decision on um, uh, planting trees and um, and the communion forest idea. And, you know, he started talking about the interest in his diocese in Missouri about um, reforesting, putting in forests, but having natural burials as a part of that idea. And then the camps and conference centers got huge. Interest because you know so many of us are connected in a really deep way to those camps and conference centers, and uh, I mean I think my family would love to opt um, for our local camp. Um, but I, i Valerie, you mentioned to me recently that there's a church um, in Greensboro, North Carolina. In, yeah, that. Has taken church land, um, and you know we already have cemeteries uh, um, in in lots and lots of our, our churches, and you know I'd really love to see sort of an, a a movement erupt in terms of natural burial, and you know our abundant church land in the Episcopal Church as, as a place where we can um, we, I want to compost an apple tree. Somewhere, and I'd love to compost it, you know, um, at my church camp.
3: Mm-hmm. Well, and Brian, you and I have talked, you know, for a long time about camp and conference centers being just, you know, this reservoir of opportunity in terms of connecting youth education with potentially land conservation and burial. Um, so yeah, I'm excited that it, that there was some interest, at least from the from the gathering, um, and and I was, you know, I just met the um, folks at in Greensboro at a, I spoke at the, the North Carolina Funeral Consumers Alliance annual meeting, and I mean, they just did it at their at their church, and I think for an interesting thing in the book is that. I found out, which I didn't know, that um, Warren Wilson had. I knew they had a cemetery, but I didn't know where it was. Um, and as I you know, was doing this research, realized the location of the cemetery. Um, and then I also realized that their contract required vaults, which is kind of interesting, because Warren Wilson is all about environmental studies and sustainability. Um, The cemetery is owned by the Presbyterian church. um, And part of my journey was being in conversation with the 85 year old um, trustee of the cemetery who was kind of the main decision maker um, and basically advocating for changing the contract which they ended up doing. Um, So it wasn't like we had to build a whole new project. It didn't take any money. It was like, let's get the word document out and let's take out contract. And there was, you know, a transformative change that impacts the land.
0: Well, that's huge. Was it hard to, was it hard to make the case? Or was it, I mean, did did folks come around pretty quickly to saying, okay, we can change this contract to expand?
3: What we do here, or it was a lot. It was a lot of dialogue and, and yeah. conversation. And the 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 guy who um, was kind of in charge, his name was Ray Stock, and he was 80, 85 and he was very stubborn. And and I was a young thing trying to tell him what to do.
2: <laughs> I, I wasn't that what's, young. What's What's important to remember is that you were a McDuff. So <laughs> I have learned if you want to make change in this world find the mcduff because they will (laughs) they will make change in this world for sure
3: well Um, it was a yeah it it was it it was a long process to to but but it happened
0: sounds encouraging Mm -hmm.
3: though Mm -hmm. yeah
2: well i think mallory i think it's also fascinating um you know the title of your book is our last best act and that came out of a conversation you and i had about wendell berry uh talking about his father's death. And that in many ways, his dying was his last best act. And um, I think the thing I'm aware of is those of us, especially on part of this conversation today, you know, want to make good environmental decisions, right? And we're going to compost our paper or we're going to be careful about our food. And yet, I think it's what I appreciate about your book is realizing, you know, unless we're intentional about the decisions we make once we die, we will have fumbled this opportunity to really do this either significant sort of an environmentally sound practice or in many ways undercut the kind of life we said mattered to us right in a way that we just weren't thinking and um so yeah i think to me what's been helpful is the number of people who have read your book and basically had a conversion experience i'm curious have you had have you had other people sort of just email you or call you or say or you know, meet you at the grocery store and say, I'm changing my plans because of your book?
3: I've had people that have read it and and made decisions that that changed, you know, what their final wishes were, yeah. Um, and, and more, It's it, I think it's also allowed or pushed people to, they've said like, okay, I went out to the conservation burial ground and to explore it. I didn't even know it was there and now I'm going to buy a plot there or, you know, you know i didn't know about aquamation and so now i'm t- having those conversations with my children so so yeah it, it it has i mean and the embarrassing thing is we're is that like i did all this research and you know changed my um wishes and everything and then like even just last month i realized oh my god i didn't i haven't changed like one of the beneficiaries in my you know retirement and i you know and I've been like divorced for you know 17 years. I mean, so I, I mean I'm, I can't believe I just shared that. It's so embarrassing. But the point is that it's easy to forget all the things we have to do to prepare for the end of our lives. So get, just getting started on that, then I think for me it, it, it allowed me to realize, okay, now I need to do this and, and let me th- talk about this. So it's it's just like getting started on anything, um, you know. Reveals well, the things I, you need to do.
1: Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna uh, true confessions and some embarrassment. Um, I have I need to do it, and uh, so today I need to. I'm going to contact a company in Seattle called Recompose, um, and they did a lot of research with Washington State University, and uh, the founder of her, her name's Kate Spade. Um, um, um I, I've had the privilege of meeting, but I gotta get off my butt and um, do that. Um, and, and it's so cool is that
3: Kate Spade, some of her original research for Recompose, which was kind of the, on the forefront of the human composting initiatives. Some of her original research was at the body farm in Western North Carolina, a place where you can donate your body to decompose for the purposes of um, like forensic research. So it's like, it's just amazing. So, okay. So you and I, Brian, we can like, you can do that. I'm, I'm getting my financials in order. Um, and, and that can be like our commitment, our embarrassing okay. confessions and our commitments.
0: Well, and I'm going to buy the book immediately as i <laughs> mentioned, because that's my next best step because it's um you know (laughs) it's an open conversation we're having in our family like where do we want to where do we want to end up and so Mm -hmm. I'm going huh maybe I I now know (laughs) you know I think um, this is I've got a next step I can take and I think as you say Mallory like often we get stymied because we don't know like what's the thing that will get get us moving along you know and so I'm I'm hoping that this podcast episode inspires people to ask some questions, to read your book and to see what the other options might be, and then to ignite some other conversations because the more we normalize talking about the breadth of opportunities to allow our last um, wishes to be in in, um, relationship to our lived values, then, you know, the better off all of us will be, you know, that these decisions are not just about what we want individually, they actually impact the planet, and everybody else who's still living on it. So it's not insignificant to take that next little step.
3: Well, and I think, you know, with teaching college students, I'm aware that, you know, like my one little death is not going to change the climate crisis. But as we've just seen with the growth of sustainable options, like individual acts and collective generate momentum. And we're seeing that, we're we're seeing that happen. The other thing I just wanted to share real quickly is that we've talked a lot about like the importance of these decisions for sustainability. um, But I also think that this encounter with the bodies, with dead bodies, um, like it, it changed me in ways that have, transformed my relationship with my father specifically, years after his death. Um, I was very close with both my mom and my dad, but with with my father, because he had said he wanted his children to prepare his body for burial, even though it was it was being kept cool at a funeral home because it was a he was in a hit and run accident. We were able to ask the funeral director in Fairhope, Alabama, all you need to do is keep the body cool. Can we Put his body in the pine casket that was built by a friend, and that physical encounter with his body—it—it um, it, just—it it changed me. Um, and, and I think that's—we, you know, we—we we have children, and by the time we've had children, those of us who have, we've like held a baby, generally, you know. <laughs> Even if you didn't want to, you know, right. somebody handed you a baby. Um, but yet, when we face death, most of us have not ever even seen a dead body. Um, and and that that reconciliation that this is my path, as it was my father's path, and this path is returning his body to the earth was, you know, a really other important part of of the equation. I think.
1: Wow, beautiful. Thank wow, you. Wow, this this is such an important subject because we've gone way past uh, our our normal length and so we're going to skip our last question and have you all back um, to ask that question Um, but uh, this has really been tremendous well then it's a wrap for today's Spade Spoon Soul also known as Triple S if you want to know more about Triple S you can find us on the Spade Spoon Soul Facebook page or email us at Podcast at gmail.com.
0: And thank you so much, Brian and Mallory, for being with us today. I also want to thank our producer, Derek Weston, who also happens to be a Presbyterian minister, community organizer, urban farmer, filmmaker, author, so many talents. He um, helps to make our show sound so great. And want to thank jade sidebotham for our artwork and ryan lee for the groovy music that brings us in and out of the show
1: so until next time we hope you will find ways to connect your soul to your spade to the earth amen